We're shooting an awful lot down from the skies these days. But where does all this stuff come from? This is the Balance of Power Roundtable, which is part of the Beyond Politics podcast. And I'm Matt Robeson, your host. This is the show where we try to take a thoughtful, balanced approach to everything going on. Coming at me from my right side as conservative commentator, analyst, and consultant Alicia Preston. And from my left, not that far to my left, just a little bit on the left, is former two-term U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes. All right, folks, is it an invasion? What's going on? My kids are really into this zombie high school show where there's a whole <laughs> song, there's a whole musical number that goes, it's an alien invasion. Not an alien invasion. Do we know? Oh, we don't know what it is. We don't know. We don't know. Betty Hill was carried away from New Hampshire by aliens. And ever since we've been looking for them. And I'm sure that... President Joe Biden and Hunter Biden are out there with telescopes looking up at the sky. And I don't know, I think maybe it's Hunter Biden's laptop that is mm. floating around over the continental United States, taking pictures with its laptop camera. And they finally decided to get rid of the evidence and shoot it down. At least that's what my colleagues from the right believe, that Hunter Biden's oh laptop gosh. has been doing surveillance. Oh, you're a creative genius. Netflix, hear us. <laughs> Alien Hunter Biden laptop, the hidden evidence. That's this it. is the documentary we were born to make, baby. But um, is it a cat? Because that would be a lot of lives for that laptop because it's been shot down a few times now. Oh, I thought what you were trying to do is have an algorithm gasm here over like cat videos mixed with mm. alien videos mixed with Hunter Biden laptop. And mm. somewhere in the middle of that Venn diagram is America's id. That's what we're going for here. All right, Alicia, I'm going to try to be halfway serious for a second. We interviewed congressman, current congressman, not former congressman, old friend of Paul's, Steve Cohen, yesterday on the show, really actually... It's, it's not even out yet. That'll be coming out shortly. And he told the inside account of Marjorie Taylor Greene going full ballistic insane on in a classified military briefing where she stood up on a soapbox with no one there except her colleagues to see. There's no press. She's just performatively going nuts on these military officials who are patiently explaining, here's why we made the decision we made about the Chinese balloon. We wanted to be careful of human lives. We wanted to track it. We could gain intelligence that way. Like, no, anyway, you got to hear the whole thing on the other show. But you're not as crazy as Marjorie Taylor Greene. You're like garden variety Republican crazy. But do you... Do you is there criticism here or is the Biden administration taking the right approach with now shooting down everything in sight? What's your take on it? I have no idea because we don't have information. I think it's upsetting to know that very first China balloon could traverse the entire United States of America. Why didn't we catch it on the other side? That's my only criticism I'm going to provide because I don't know anything else that's going on. I don't mm. know what these things are. I don't know how they found them. I am all for shooting stuff out of the sky. That could be a threat. Do it. Kenny Loggins playing in my headphones. Shoot it out. I'm fine with that. But I can't have an opinion on if what we're doing is right because we don't know anything. Now, I do think and I understand the government can't tell us everything. I think they know a lot more than they're telling us. And I understand for either national security or potentially intergalactic security, they can't fill us in on everything. But I think they have to give beep, 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 beep. Once again, I'd like to... 
I'd like to invite you all to the All Hodes has a ground mall seizure hour on politics podcast. Okay, Paul, serious question. All right, look, on this alien point, we put out a video on the Blue Amp channel last night. It was an excerpt from an amazing interview we did with Mick West, who is the preeminent video UFO analyst in the world. He's widely cited. He's widely respected. Journalists go to him when they have a question about what is this blurry video saying? And we interviewed him and I brought it back and we put it out as a video. I urge people Mm -hmm. to actually go watch the video rather than listen to it in the pod. I put it out in the pod stream as well, but it really deserves because we put up the actual videos, the last batch of Pentagon videos, and he breaks them down and he goes through, here's how you analyze these things. So if you have questions about this, you're maybe ET curious um, and you're thinking, mm. I can't rule out that these mm. are extraterrestrials. Watch the video because I think he does an amazing job of being very respectful. He doesn't discount any possibility. We're not trying to we're not trying to disprove anybody's beliefs, just trying to say, here's how you go about evaluating and thinking at these about these things that I found it really amazing and really fascinating. But I have a question for you, Paul, based on your insight as a member of Congress. Alicia just brought up the question of how much do you believe what the military is telling you? When you were serving in Congress, we were still in the, I can't even call it the end stages. We were past the peak of the war in Iraq. We were still very much engaged in Afghanistan. We were right past the Abu Ghraib scandal. There was a lot going on that led to legitimate concerns about what the military was telling you. You've described to us before what it's like to get a classified briefing or to go into the secure compartment to look at classified materials. What's the experience like, all Marjorie Taylor Greene insanity aside, what's the experience like of going into a classified briefing with military personnel How did you approach it? How did you think about it? How did you weigh the veracity of what they were telling you? How did you push them about it? Just tell us, give us some insights into that. Sure. So as you mentioned, there are really two two types of classified briefings generally that are held. One is a group briefing where a subject arises that is deemed so critical to national security or so important or so pressworthy or it's making enough of a splash that they want to get everybody together as quickly as they can and offer a panel of briefers to talk about what's going on. And that's generally held in the big hearing room. The other kind of classified briefing, as I've previously described on the show, is uh, the go- walk through three, three, three different locked chambers to get to the tiny windowless closet with the minder who is watching you like a hawk as you turn each page, often the pages of which are redacted because not only because that you only have classified, you don't even have the top, top secret you know, classification allowance. So those are the two kinds of briefings. Both are pretty serious events because you cannot ever reveal what you are reading. You can't reveal what you're being told. You've, you've, there's the old saying, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. And that that's basically the way I certainly treated classified information. I fortunately, although I'm a garrulous type, I've never slipped and revealed any of the classified information. But what you hear in the briefings and what you read about in the closet are not generally 
what what the military or the intelligence community is putting out in public. It's generally details that go far beyond what the public is being told. What I can say is, for example, going into the closed room and reading about, at the time I was reading about operations in Iraq, you got deep details about what was happening, what the thinking was about what was going on, and who very players were that the public just never, it, nothing like that ever came out in public. And in the larger classified briefings, you get a chance to ask questions and you get a chance to push and probe and challenge. Now, in the times that I was there, there was never a Marjorie Taylor Greene scene. Nobody ever stood up and started screaming, screaming at, at the presenters. It just didn't happen because generally, at least from my standpoint, I have respect for the military and intelligence officials who serve the country, and it didn't strike me as useful. <laughs> and I was never moved to get up and yell bloody murder at them for ridiculous political purposes of, that only a whack job like Marjorie Taylor Greene could think up. But you get a chance to ask questions in those classified briefings. Can I ask you a question, Paul? And this is not facetious, and sincerely, if you're in the military or the powers that be, and you're told you have to, Marjorie Taylor Greene's coming in for a classified briefing, do you have any jurisdiction to scale a bit what you're going to provide her, knowing that knowing she is going to go tell the world because she doesn't care? Can or you do that? Can they do or that? if you're the great orange cheek dope who you know is simply not going to read anything and throw it in the trash and doesn't respect you, maybe, yeah. Maybe the intelligence and military officials do scale things for their audience. I don't I, I don't know. I don't know that anything was ever scaled for me, but I could imagine. I could imagine with the great orange one as president or Marjorie Taylor Greene that they might want to be careful about what they were telling her because the orange Cheeto was a walking national security risk every day he was in office. We know from reporting from deep dives from Bob Woodward and others that there was significant concern in the military and the intelligence community about what they provided to Donald Trump. Because remember, the day after Donald Trump fired Comey, he laughed about it with the Russian ambassador in it the and yeah. then proceeded to blow the cover of deep undercover Israeli agents whose lives were put in danger. And the defense by the Trumpistas like Sarah Huckabee Sanders at the time was, oh, the president can declassify anything at any time that he wishes, which I guess it, we, we heard that. That one came back. That was on the Greatest Hits album. We heard that after Mar-a-Lago. That is technically true, but it doesn't remove the risk you're talking about, Alicia. Yeah. The danger. If, that's why I wonder, do members of Congress have this blanket level of classified access or is it dependent on the situation and even the individual member? I, I can tell you, I haven't provided a classified briefing before. I have staffed many members of Congress and I can tell you that from a staff perspective, there is such a thing as shaping the information that you give the boss. Now, to be clear, lest Paul have a uh, retroactive fit or another grand mal seizure, um, this isn't always nefarious. 
what you, most of the time, what you're trying to do is present information in the best way for your boss. Some members of Congress just they just absorb information in in better ways. Some really don't care about certain details. Some definitely care about other details. And so you learn this stuff. And there was an extreme version of this with Trump, where you knew he would not read anything written on a piece of paper. So they came to just presenting him pretty pictures and graphs, and all that's very well documented. But there's a version of this. Henry Kissinger famously, when he was presenting options to Richard Nixon, he used the Kissinger method, which is he would give three options, and two of them would be bookends at the extremes, and he wanted Nixon to choose the middle option. That's a little bit of intelligent psychology. Mr. President, you could bomb them into oblivion. That was the extreme option that became the middle Mr. option. Mr. President, you could do nothing. Mr. President, we could go out to lunch at a good German bratwurst restaurant. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. But this can also take very subtle forms. So for example, if I were staffing, and again, we know this from the whistleblower who wrote that anonymous op-ed about how they were resisting, they were subtly trying to manage Trump's environment to keep from blowing up the world. They would, I, so Alicia, your question was, are you required to give everyone the same classified briefing? Or if you know that you're dealing with Marjorie Taylor Greene, can you like leave certain details out? You're required to give everyone the same classified briefing. I don't think you can make judgments like that, but you can be smart about how you do it. So if you're dealing with someone like Donald Trump, who is not going to read the written detail, you can bury some of the information strategically. You can make some information more prominent. A lot of the times staffers will put the issue that they really want the boss to focus on prominently up front and put other things in a subsidiary position. Some in nefarious ways will put red herring issues up front um, to get the focus there. So anyway, that's a long way of saying there are ways to do this. And that's why you have to be really smart about choosing your staff and choosing the people who work for you and having some trust in them. And why it's such a big deal if you're Donald Trump and you're bringing in not the A team, not the B team, but somewhere down the alphabet, <laughs> you're bringing in the 50th stringers. That has consequences. So there you go. That's my take on it. I could be wrong. Getting back to the original topic, though, I think the government has to tell us something, even if they can't tell us everything, because what's happening now is everyone's coming up with their own theories. And these theories are taking off and running wild and people are nuts. And for the record, I believe in extra, extraterrestrial life. I think it is incredibly narcissistic for humans to think that they're the only intelligent life form in the in the universe. That doesn't mean I think they're here. But what or is that it? Is they're it arriving in balloons. That seems or that less they're arri arriving in balloons. Although Kirby, the Admiral Kirby, the other day said that two of the four were not balloons. One was cylindrical. True. True. And so we don't know what they are. Is it Russia? Is it China? Is it something else? Look, we're talking Alaska and Canada. Might, might be Cuba if they're cylindrical or flying like a cigars. cigar. Yeah, they're flying, they're flying, flying cigars. cigars. That's top-notch analysis, there, Paul. But I think that's they've the got to at least. That, it's the kind of analysis that's going on about all of this. That's a Marjorie Taylor Green analysis right now. That's what that is. <laughs> those are but socialist. Those are socialist us... metal cigars floating above <laughs> the United States. They're communists. They're trying to find out what's going on with our tobacco 
tobacco industry. And I say, shoot them down over Miami. With Jewish space lasers. With Jewish, with space, Jewish lasers. space lasers. Look, I listen, I just on the extraterrestrial front, I maintain a kind of humble skepticism about this. Humble in the sense that I could so easily be wrong. I don't know. I just think it's pretty unlikely that a civilization that possessed the means to cross intergalactic space would be detected so easily and shot down so readily by F-22s. Oh, but they weren't detected so easily. Remember, that was a problem. That's what Kirby said at the press conference the other day. That's why they didn't detect the three under Trump until the Biden administration. Eh, they adjusted you know, their radar. Here's my, the radar. It's, here's you my had to other dial criticism. on the old TV and it's like you've turned from channel four to channel seven. We are we have a war between Russia and Ukraine. Russia is mm. a strong adversary of us. They've made lots of threats to us. We've got a very patient relationship with China, who is a, a technological superpower in the world. Why weren't we scanning our skies? And now this could be under Trump. This could be under Biden. I don't know if it goes back as far as Obama, but it does concern me that we weren't already. So we adjusted our radar. That's great. Why did we have, why weren't we doing this in the first place while we're in the middle of some very internationally dangerous conflicts? So what I gather from the New York Times, which did a deep dive into this, is that you can turn the sensitivity and sort of the scope and the resolution on your scanning systems up or down. And everything has trade-offs and benefits. And so when you turn up the resolution to pay super duper attention like this, you're going to get more false positives. You're going to see more like chaff and you're going to send multi-hundred million dollar fighter planes firing tens of million dollar sidewinder missiles after what could essentially be sky garbage. And there's a good chance that some of this stuff we've shot down is sky garbage. It could be loose weather experiments and hobbyist drones and stuff like that. And so it was a trade-off and that the thinking may have been, once we detected the Chinese balloon, let's turn the resolution up, let's shoot a bunch of this stuff down and let's send a harsh message that, we're watching, we're monitoring, and we are not fooling around on this stuff as a means of deterrence. But it may not be the optimal strategy overall to have that level of scanning going on all the time. And by the way, do you think that we're sending anything over any other countries? Do you think that maybe we have an active surveillance program globally with satellites and balloons and planes and other devices to scope out what's going on around the world? Answer, of course we do. Of course we do. we do. And if someone, if we have a balloon, whether surveillance or otherwise, flying over Syria and Syria shoots our balloon down, okay, we lost the balloon. I would have no problem with them shooting down our balloon over their sky any more than we shoot down theirs. And what I don't understand is, look, we're the United States of America. We are the greatest military in the entire world, the greatest military intelligence in the entire world. You know, what, what if take half the radars and put them all the way up and check out what that stuff is. Take the other half and back down. I don't care what it is. I'm not going to buy it for a minute, no matter what the modern technology that the United States military and intelligence community cannot and should not know when a nefarious actor, which we at least know the first one was China is flying over our skies. Speaking of nefarious actors, I think all of this stuff, they ought to collect it all and take it to area 51 mm. and then deep down there in the underground bunkers they can put it all in the hidden spaceships that they've recovered already from the desert 
and then shoot it back out into outer space and say, take that, you aliens. It's our Independence Day. What I'm worried about is I did see that documentary, Independence Day, and if we take things to Area 51, <laughs> isn't it possible that we'll just wake up the dormant aliens there? and Could happen. And, and then what? Right. Look, bottom line here is people, like in that documentary, do not shoot at space things or sky things that you see because either you're going to shoot at a plane or it really is an alien spacecraft and you might start an intergalactic war. Hey, moving for a second from <laughs> space analysis and radar analysis and intelligence analysis, can we talk about linguistic analysis for a second? Because, Paul, you're a former member of Congress. You had to sit through hundreds of congressional hearings. I, as a staffer, for a long time, had to sit through hundreds of congressional hearings. And they're deadly. They are boring as hell. I can't believe that people watch this on C-SPAN. There must be a sleep problem in America, and this is the solution. Take an Ambien, folks. All of that changed. I've been known to watch them on C-SPAN, just letting you know. You and they are very boring. I don't know why I do it, but once Alicia in a while. Alicia Preston, we need to get you a hobby. Let's try needlepoint. I don't know. Or MMA. I mean, something. All right. So MMA. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> could you combine those two? Okay. All of that came to an end when we had the greatest congressional history hearing in history the other day. I did a YouTube video about this. I like to keep things serious, but sometimes you just can't help yourself. So the Republicans were hoisted on their own petard. They're trying to do this whole Star Chamber Benghazi-esque thing. And, oh, Twitter is out to get us. And so they hauled in a Twitter employee to talk about the post story about Hunter Biden's laptop and aliens and I don't know what else. And Maxwell Frost freshman congressman from Florida, took the opportunity to ask about another incident, the incident where the former supermodel Chrissy Teigen listed, put out a tweet in which she referred to President Trump at the time as a pussy-ass bitch. Now, what was great about that was not the insult. It was the linguistic analysis that it required Twitter to undertake because they had a rule. You can't string together three, three insults. insults. And so now what they had to figure out was, is pussy ass bitch, bitch, is that one adjective pussy ass that is modifying another, a noun, bitch? Is that one term? Is that three terms? Um, I would like your linguistic analysis, Paul, as a former attorney, you do a lot of textual analysis. What was your take on this stunning incident? It's an arguable, it's, argu it's arguably, it's a very challenging analysis because first of all, you have three potential nouns, pussy, ass, and bitch. Now, either one alone could be considered a noun and therefore could be considered an insult. However, taken in context, clearly pussy modifies ass and both modify bitch. Therefore, pussy ass should be considered one adjective, and arguably you could even call it an insult, and bitch, a, another appellation, which one could consider an insult. Therefore, I get at most two insults. However, if you, there is a very strong argument that given the lack of commas in the tweet and the alliteration, which flows so smoothly from the tongue, pussy mm. ass bitch, that it is really to be taken as one insult 
cleverly put together by a brilliant mind. What you're saying is that the lack of the Oxford comma here is the real issue because we could separate this. She, Ms. Teagan could have been saying, he is a pussy implied comma, ass bitch. Like maybe the combination of ass and bitch is what was really That's an issue possible. here. That's Alicia, where do you come down on this absolutely riveting discussion? Let's take a break. We'll be right back. First of all, it wouldn't be the use of the Oxford comma because that only can come into play if the word and or words and or uh, are part so of it. Right. You're so uh, English right. Major, yeah. English major. So yeah. I would argue that, however, with the lack of any punctuation, it is a title. And as oh. a title, it would be one insult. Now, but here's my other question. Yeah. Is it an insult if only the subject is insulted by it? If everybody else agrees, that's just a point of fact. Would it be considered an insult? So it would be like, so if you're saying it's a tiny the equivalent of calling him president, Correct. you could call him PAB or President Trump, and they're interchangeable because they're both a title. That would be one. Or it could simply be descriptive like human male Donald Trump or pussy ass bitch. They're just descriptive. They're just descriptive. And now if President Trump were insulted by being called a human male, that unto itself doesn't make it an insult just because he doesn't like that title. So if this title is equally accurate and the only one offended by it is the subject of it, does that unto itself make it an insult under the Twitter it's an terms? Interesting question. I mean, look, the subject was, in fact, offended. And the great orange one through his minions did try to have Twitter remove the tweet, he found it so offensive. So clearly the subject found it insulting. And I must say, even in the panoply of insults that I myself have leveled against the great orange crooked Cheeto who belongs in an orange jumpsuit in a federal prison, pussy ass bitch is a really good insult. It is. And so no, I'm thinking about this from a legal standpoint, Paul. Because it also brings in the standard for libel. And to prove prima facie defamation, a plaintiff has to show four things. A false statement purporting to be fact. Well, this is, per Alicia's point, not necessarily a false statement. It's very true and very full of proof that Donald Trump is a pussy-ass bitch. Therefore, it fails the first legal test. But the second one is publication or communication of that statement to a third person. That did happen that here. Yep. The third is fault amounting to at least negligence. So did Ms. Teagan negligently and with malice, with intentional, or with malice, yeah. or with malice knowing that, that this would be harmful and misleading, purport to put forward this information. She was clearly malicious. There was malicious intents here. But on the other hand, Alicia could be right that it was descriptive. And finally, there have to be damages, some harm caused to the reputation of the person or entity who's the subject. That's where this, and there was by, none. by the way, number one, he's a public figure, so none of this applies. But even if it did, uh, the last is where this falls. Because given what else he's been called and what else he is, there can be, there could have been no damage whatsoever to his reputation. His right. reputation was already in the tank. It could not have sunk any lower. Correct. Good. Well, and I have a question based on something Paul said, though. So President Trump was upset that Teagan did this. And so had his team, or at least a member of his team, contact Twitter to have it removed. So does that constitute the government colluding with Twitter to stifle First Amendment? free speech. 
Oh, you're getting into some Twitter mm. files, Elon Musk mm. territory. Very interesting, especially because that whole Matt Taibbi diatribe that purported to show some useful information out of the Twitter files, which it did not. That's what it was claiming was there there was. But this is clearly on its face, some kind of coordination. And in fact, as we demonstrated at the time, that Taibbi string of bullshit emerged that this happens all the time. Campaigns, you were making this point, Alicia, campaigns always ask for stuff that they don't like to be taken down and Twitter can tell them to go pound sand. So um, you know what? This is an absolutely fascinating incident. I can only hope that as Republicans continue to use their congressional hearing power to say the most ridiculous gaslighting things on earth, that they will continue to have it boomerang in their faces, although I doubt it will be quite as spectacular as this one. Let's move on. congressional hearing ever. In history. In history. Alicia, I've got a question for you. Nikki Haley just announced Mm -hmm. as we record this that she is indeed running for president. Is she suffering from presidential derangement syndrome? Does she have a chance in hell? I'm going to start with saying I have great respect for Nikki Haley. I think she is very qualified for the position. And so far of those that are seriously considering it, she would be my first choice other than, of course, my own New Hampshire governor, Chris Sununu. I think it's going to be difficult for any Republican, and here's why. While Donald Trump only has a support of about 30 to 33 percent of Republicans, that is a big number of six, seven, eight, nine, ten people end up in the Republican primary, and it becomes almost strategically impossible. That's what happened last time. It's not like he got 50 percent of the vote in the early states when everyone was still in it. He had the plurality. And so Nikki Haley's problem is going to be the same as Tim Scott's, Chris Sununu's, and everybody else. And that's that you're going to see more people support someone other than Donald Trump. But those more other than Donald Trump are going to divvy up that pie, and it will be difficult for anyone to make that play unless it dwindles down before the party of the primaries and the caucuses really start to just two or three. No, what that suggests is that basically Republicans are screwed. Yes, the Republicans. We may all be screwed. Let's be clear. It's not just your problem. Yeah. I mean, it suggests that there is a real collective action problem that the Republicans have. It's like the economics of cartels. It's so hard to maintain a cartel. OPEC has been actually remarkably successful, but there's always an incentive to cheat because you you all have to agree to give something up so that everybody is better off. That's how a cartel works. You could produce more and you could earn more money, but keeping prices high relies on everybody agreeing, okay, we won't produce that much. So everyone's got to abide by it. And the Republicans are in the same boat. They would clearly, Alicia, you're suggesting they'd be better off if they could agree, all right, look, we'll have two or three alternatives to Donald Trump, a few different flavors for our voters to choose from. Everyone would be better off, including all of America. A hundred percent. And they should cut deals. You know what? Get two others out there. Everyone decide, get Ben. One of them's going to end up, and then the five other, look, you'll end up being a cabinet secretary. You'll end up being my vice presidential candidate. You'll end up being commissioner of the Department of UFOs, whatever it is. This is what really happens behind the scenes anyway. So just do it earlier. Chris Sununu is going to be the commissioner of UFOs because he comes from New Hampshire, where Betty Hill and famous Exeter, New Hampshire, by UFOs in Exeter. So Sununu is the UFO candidate. But here's the thing. Okay, let's play this out, though, Alicia. You're right, but let's say you're Chris Sununu. I know. Dare to dream. Let's say you're Chris Sununu, and Nikki Haley calls you up and says, hey, bro, 
how you doing? So you might've seen my little thing. I'm running for president. I don't mean to make her sound like a valley girl. I'm just being tongue in cheek. And so look, Chris, Booby, how about we agree that you won't run for president and I will. And if I become president, you can be my secretary of transportation. And his response would be, um, earmuffs for the kids here. Fuck you. Not a chance in hell because he's looking in the mirror and seeing the next president of the United States. His real response would be, Nikki, bubble up. Such a lovely offer. Thank you for calling. I have a proposition for you. How about I run for president and you be my secretary of commerce? And she'd say, no. And how do they get themselves out of this? Because there's 10 more where that came from of people who are looking in the mirror and saying, this could be me. So why should I get busted and take second seat to one of these idiots. That's where if we had a strong national party to have these discussions, it could help because I we all make fun that I want to be Chris Nunu's national communications director if he runs for president. Chris Nunu, if you're listening. He hasn't called back. And B, here's what I would do if I were the RNC trying to negotiate this. I would take each of those candidates that we want to sit on the bench this time around and explain to them why they should sit on the bench. And this is what I would say to Chris Nunu. And this is going to really kill my chances, but literally they haven't called me back, so it's Chris. fine. Um, Chris Nunu, unless this happens, unless we whittle down this field early on, Chris Nunu is not going to win the New Hampshire primary. If you are the governor, a very popular governor, and you don't win your own state, you fizzle out immediately. And so since he cannot, unless this scenario happens, come out of New Hampshire with a win, because Donald Trump will win with that many, with five, six, seven, eight candidates, I would say to him, Governor Sununu, take another, take it another time. You're young. You're in your 40s. Wait for it. Participate in the process elsewhere. If I win or if someone, if Nikki Haley wins, we'll just use that as an example, you'll have this high profile position because the reality is when it comes to this particular candidate, again, you have to win your own state. You just have to. And it's not plausible unless we whittle down this field. The right wing in New Hampshire hates Chris Sununu. He's like Ocasio-Cortez to the right wing in New Hampshire. It's a very small percentage though. Alicia, Alicia, let Paul continue He's helping Chris Sununu right now. Go ahead. So they hate the him. More, but the, but also, the more you say that, this, no. the more moderate he sounds. So, oh, oh right, no, he's, he's Franklin Roosevelt. He's Franklin Delano Roosevelt to the right wing in New Hampshire. He's he's a communist. So actually, he can't win the New Hampshire primary because it, it's mostly populated by right wing whack jobs who are going to vote in the Republican primary, and they're going to vote for DJT Orange Orange Peel or at the very worst DeSantis. They're not going to vote for Chris Sununo. All right. Can I push you? Can I push you on that with Alicia? I'm sure about to sail in and back me up. Alicia, you got to come in and back me up here. Okay. Just come in and back me up. Look, we just saw an example of this in the midterms, right? First of all, there were Republican ticket splitters who voted for Sununu and voted for Senator Hassett because she won bigly and so did he, so did Sununu. And number two, Sununu really faced token, if no opposition, in his own primary. I think there's a I think there's a reasonable case that he could consolidate enough moderate support, but only if there aren't enough Larry Hogan's, Nikki Haley's, you know, et cetera, in there, Tim Scott's to be another plausible moderate alternative. Oh, I think he could be 
and I think he would be great at it. But if there is, look, disagree with Paul when it comes to most Republicans or these right wing wackos. Chris Sununu overwhelmingly won his primary against challengers. And I think it was 80% or something of the votes he got. There is a sliver of whack jobs and they're, they're very loud, but they're not there's not a lot of them. So he's got a huge following and support from the Republican Party. He also has a huge following and support from independents in New Hampshire who are allowed to vote in primaries. There is a path for him, but the path doesn't exist if there's 10 people in this race. And that is because that small group that supports Donald Trump aren't going anywhere. They will support him no matter what he does and when he runs. And you're just splitting that pie too much of the non-Donald Trump. The same thing happened if you look at if you look at the midterms in New Hampshire, because we're talking about Chris Sununu here, and you look at who won the primaries for congressional and Senate races, none of them got more than a third of the vote. That's over two thirds of Republicans voted for someone other than the person that won that nomination. But because that was a big enough piece of that pie, they won the nomination. And of course, all of them lost federally because they were terrible candidates. Look, I hope that's a postcard from the future. And I think we have to move to wrap here, but I just want to say two things. One is that a sliver of whack jobs would be an amazing name for a rock band. Number two, a sliver of whack jobs would be an amazing recent history of the Republican Party under Donald Trump. And on that delightful note, we will wrap up the show here. I'm trying to decide if that last sentence was filled with adjectives, nouns, or if they combined into one solitary description. We'll get back to you on that when we see you next time on Balance of Power.